The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here's Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston. For me, the season of Advent begins when I hear the faithful sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Every year, listening to those beautiful, haunting verses, it dawns on me. We are inviting God to stop by. We just ask the Holy One to step into our lives. O come, thou day spring, come and, and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. We sing our hopes to heaven, and then what? Well, if you're the church, you make preparations, you decorate, you put up a tree. <laughs> you ask, what do we need to do to get ready to receive the chosen one of God. To answer, Christians turn during Advent to prophets like Isaiah and Mary. These faithful souls are our experts. They've done this whole prepare for the arrival of the Lord thing before. They have wisdom for us like those turkey hotlines that people call when they're not sure how to thaw their bird. These folk are standing ready at the phones, ready to advise us on how to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. This year, during the four weeks of Advent, we're going to visit four of these experts, Malachi, Isaiah, Elizabeth, and Mary. Spoiler alert, some of these folk, okay, all of these folk are a bit quirky. <laughs> Their perspectives do not parallel our culture's seasonal preparations. Isaiah is not playing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas from his portable speakers. Mary is not baking sprinkle cookies. <laughs> The ornaments that these folk hang from their trees look a bit odd. Still, our tradition bids us pay attention, probably because these diverse folk all promise the same ending. Love is on the way. Shall we begin? Today, we're going to pay a visit to the least famous herald of Advent, the prophet Malachi. Malachi lives in an apartment above a laundromat where most days you can find him busily at work. This may explain why he thinks about Christmas in terms of soap, <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself. On this wet December day, let's make our way to the laundromat and see how this prophet is preparing for the arrival of the Holy One. Listen now for God's word to you. And for those of you in the sanctuary, I added an extra verse. I started with the end of chapter two, beginning with the 17th verse. 
You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, all who do evil are good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a, a purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. When we push open the steamed up door to the laundromat, a little bell jangles, humid air and a low hum greets us. A dozen or so dryers are are tumbling, water and suds spin in the machines. The only soul in sight, an older man in a knit cap, glances our direction. He's loading towels into a washer, measuring out a dose of detergent and bleach. No fabric softener for this guy, not this stern fellow. As the load begins to churn, he walks over. Can I help? If you're looking for quarters, the change machine's over there. Actually, we respond, we're looking for Malachi. We're looking for someone who can talk to us about God, about the arrival of God. He rolls his eyes. You're looking for God. <laughs> Aren't you, we reply, pointing to garlands and a small Christmas tree perched atop a washing machine. This sets the cantankerous fellow off. You're looking for God. Well, this messed up world certainly needs God. I have my doubts, though, as to whether anybody actually wants to meet God, the real God. What do you think the almighty God, judge of nations, makes of humanity these days? After all, the world is a total mess. We've lost our moral bearings. We follow influencers. We revere narcissists. We are captivated by crooks. We elect extremists, hucksters, and compulsive liars to the highest offices in the land. We worship anything and everything other than the righteous lion who sits atop heaven's throne. 
Nobody out there, and I mean nobody, seems to think that God's classic commandments are important, are binding, are the guideposts that we need. Love God, love neighbor, don't lie, seek peace, embrace charity, forget about it. Our new creed goes more like this, love self, <laughs> honor self, worship self. Every day we take little handfuls of clay and mold gods that look and sound like us. We've become convinced that our feelings, our gut instincts are the only thing that we can really trust. They are the only truths that matter. Ironically, the more trust that we invest in our own emotions, the less empathy we exhibit to others. What explains all this moral confusion? Well, says Malachi, slapping a tattered journal down on a dryer, I have an answer, <laughs> but you're not going to like it. It's all here in my unpublished memoir, Let's Get Ready to Tumble, The Collected Rants of Malachi, Laundromat Prophet. I start chapter two, take a look, with a critique of today's clergy. Today's priests have zero moral backbone, and the laity, they're not much better. Modern churches and temples are all but empty. We've let our sacred institutions fall into disrepair. Society's ethical laboratories are gathering cobwebs. And make no mistake about it, we are going to feel their collective emptiness for a long time. Who's going to teach the next generation to listen with compassion, to revere the sacred, to practice loving God above all and loving your neighbors just as much as we love our precious, precious selves? Do you know what I think? I think our extended navel-gazing has exhausted God. Seriously, look what I say at the end of, of chapter 2, verse 17. God has grown weary of us. God is sick and tired of us. When God looks at the world, God sees belligerent children. We go around wagging our fingers at each other in self-righteous fervor. And then when all the violence and the lying and the corruption that we've sponsored gets especially awful, we have the nerve, the sheer audacious nerve to lift our fist to the sky and ask, where is the God of justice? You want God to come? You want to meet the God of justice? Well, be careful what you wish for. God's glory is on the way. God's going to return to the temple, but first God is going to send an emissary, a messenger to get us ready. And this messenger is going to wield a refiner's fire and fuller's soap. He's going to scrub away at all the unhealthy gunk clinging to our souls. He's going to rub detergent on every stain that stands between us and God, between us and each other. You want God? Malachi sputters. Who can stand when God appears? Fire and soap. That's what God has planned. That's what we need. And with that, 
The old coot spins and stomps off to put in another load of clothes. What just happened? <laughs> just as we're starting to get in the holiday spirit, the tree's up. <laughs> the first song of Advent echoes in our ears. The church pulls out this cranky prophet. <laughs> Why? Why subject ourselves to a scolding from grumpy old Malachi at the start of the holiday season? As, as the calendar flips to December, you would think that our faith could come up with a more encouraging message. Isn't there a prophet somewhere in the good book who says something like, there, there, don't worry. You can make it through another advent. Your finances are going to be okay. Your family will survive the stress of gift giving and awkward dinner table discussions. All your worries about the state of the world are going to be soothed away and you will safely arrive at a holly jolly Christmas. Instead, the church gives us Malachi, and he gets right up in our grill. You, all of you who want to follow the path of Advent, had better grab yourself a bar of soap. Why? <laughs> in my former life as a professor, one of my favorite classes to teach was a course on faith and literature. One of my favorite authors was Flannery O'Connor. And one of my favorite stories was Flannery O'Connor's Revelation. The main character in Revelation is Mrs. Ruby Turpin. Mrs. Turpin is a pig farmer and an appalling racist. She's, she's actually a very organized racist. She categorizes everybody, black and white, rich and poor, according to an elaborate scale of bigotry. And, and here's the thing, Ruby Turpin views her ability to make distinctions based on race and class to be one of her greatest virtues. This insight into her character ought to give us pause. It makes me think, what if the things that I consider to be my strengths are not actually strengths at all? What if the internal voice guiding my steps is is not as virtuous as I assume it to be? What if Malachi's right about me, about us. As Flannery O'Connor tells the story, one day, while Ruby Turpin is visiting her doctor's office, sitting in the waiting room, she begins expressing out loud a sick, sick sense of gratitude that she is neither black nor poor. And at that moment, a book comes flying across the room and hits her smack in the forehead. Mrs. Turpin has been assaulted. The teenage girl who threw the book with considerable force at Mrs. Turpin's skull proceeds to scream at the bigoted woman. The young woman stares Mrs. Turpin in the eye and calls her a warthog from hell. This accusation overturns the pig farmer's world. She does not understand the attack to be the impulsive act of a pent-up, stressed-out teenager. 
Rather, Mrs. Turpin believes that the assault is a message, a message from God. Is that how God works? When God shows up, will the Holy One throw books at our heads and, and call us nasty names? Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears, asks Malachi, for he is like a refiner's fire and fuller's soap. A refiner's fire is the, the, the forced air, think of a bellows, white hot blaze that melts metallic ores and brings their impurities bubbling to the surface. Fuller's soap is the lye-based detergent, detergent used to bleach impurities from cloth. You want to see God, asks Malachi. Okay, I hope you're prepared for fire and soap. When Mrs. Turpin returns home with a big bruise on her forehead, she stomps out to the barn, picks up a hose, and starts washing down her pigs. She's angry, angry at God. What right does God have to suggest that, that I, an upstanding citizen, am a warthog from hell? Looking toward heaven, Ruby growls. What did you send me a message like that for? How am I a hog and me both? How am I saved and from hell too? How am I saved and from hell too? This is a profound theological question. It's a question deep down that we understand. How can I spend hours preparing to make a good Christmas for my children and then lose patience with them in an instant? How can I clink glasses with my coworkers at the holiday party while such unkind thoughts are percolating through my brain? How can I hum Christmas carols and at the same time wish that the church would stop droning on and on about the needy? How am I saved and from hell too? Friends, we've now entered that funny season between Thanksgiving and Christmas, this season that means that every streaming platform out there is promoting its catalog of dysfunctional family holiday films. Am I right, Matt? Yes. You know the genre. As a family gathers to celebrate the season, the pressures of the day open old wounds. Now, you would think that we would want to avoid watching other people go through holiday stress, but the opposite is actually true. These movies are quite popular. Perhaps there's something cathartic in looking at other people's troubles. Or perhaps these films function a bit like a visit to the laundromat. We approach the Christmas season, family gatherings, company parties, burdened with old grudges, hurt feelings, misunderstandings, 
wounds that we cannot seem to let go. We see flaws all around us, in our relatives, in our coworkers, in the wider world. Like Mrs. Turpin, we excel at seeing the brokenness in other people. And like Mrs. Turpin, we're not so good at seeing or owning or facing the brokenness in ourselves. And this is precisely why Malachi breaks out the soap. In my high school, ninth grade students were required to take a basic writing class. There were two teachers who taught these classes, Ms. Davis and Mr. Cook. You had no choice in selecting the instructor, but everyone wanted Ms. Davis. It wasn't that the stories about her were so spectacular, it was that the tales about Mr. Cook were so terrible. Cook made you memorize long lists of seemingly irrelevant words. Cook required that you use footnotes in your essays. Mr. Cook used a medium point red felt tip marker to circle every grammatical error, every misspelling, every flawed metaphor in your meager paragraphs. Mr. Cook was rigid, Mr. Cook was uncompromising, writing for Mr. Cook was a painful experience, being in Mr. Cook's class was junior high hell, except for the fact that by the end of the semester, what we were producing, while far from brilliant, was recognizable English prose. Why does God judge us? Does the Holy One enjoy watching us squirm? Or is it possible, just possible, that God judges us to save us? What if God seeks to purge the gunk and the dross from our souls so that we might have life and life abundant? At the close of Flannery O'Connor's story, Mrs. Turpin has a vision, a revelation as she's standing outside sluicing down her pigs. In the sky, she sees a cloud, a kind of purple streak, a highway on which she sees people marching. They are ascending to heaven in groups. At the end of the procession, bringing up the rear, Mrs. Turpin sees a cluster of people who look just like her. They are walking behind all the other groups that she's despised and categorized throughout her entire life. And yet Mrs. Turpin's people are last in line. O'Connor describes Turpin's surprised expression watching her group. And this is how she puts it. She could see by their shocked and altered faces that even their virtues were being burned away. What if the very thing that we assume 
is our best characteristic, our so-called virtues? What if the things that make us especially self-righteous and cranky and sharp of tongue are the things that God wants to purge from our souls? This is the gift that Malachi offers. This is the promise of Advent. God is coming. God is bringing fire and soap. God wants to wash away everything that would stand between us and showing up in awe at the foot of the manger. It's Advent, my friends. God is drawing near. Is the Holy One coming toward us carrying a bucket of sudsy water and a scrub brush? That's what Malachi says. But we are not afraid, for it is grace that would cleanse us. It is love that sends us toward the sink. It is hope that makes us eager to scrub. We want to wash up. We want to get ready to hold the baby. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.